Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is July the 11th, 2017, and this is episode 2040 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Tuesday. That brings us up to a Just Jack show, and uh, you know, I decided with all of the crap going on in the world that it would be a good day, it would be a great day, in fact, to take a fun topic that doesn't have to get heavy, it doesn't have to get serious, it doesn't even get remotely political, and do that today. And I was thinking about it, and I have been coming up with some really badass stuff in the Spirico kitchen lately, like major badass stuff. And the truth is, guys... If, for some reason, some weird thing happened, and he said, Jack Spierko, you can't talk about preparedness and survival anymore, and you have to build a new business, I would probably build a show on cooking. It's probably what I would do. It's probably one of the most passionate things in my life that's also incredibly universal. I don't know anybody that doesn't like good food. And I don't know anybody that doesn't really want to know how to be better at making good food. And so that's probably, so. I mean, I just love this topic. Now, the thing is, I was like, this will be an easy, this is like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I should do cooking, and this will be an easy show, and I'll just take these four or five things I've been doing lately and talk about them, and blah, 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 blah. Well, it's now 2.20 p.m. Central Standard Time. I've just hit record exactly one minute and 33 seconds ago, and uh, I'm just getting started. Why? Because I have drawn up a document that took about an hour to draw up of all of the things that we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to talk about my new everything taco and chili sauce, right, and how to make amazing tacos with them, what I'm calling Jack Sweet Potato Green and Orange, you'll find out what that means in a bit, an awesome stir-fried chicken recipe, an Asian chili fish and shrimp soup that'll just blow your mind with how much flavor's in it, an awesome side dish that's made with roasted red peppers, corn, and cucumber, and mint, So I'm calling it Roasted Cucumber Salad, even though it's not really roasted cucumbers. And I'm going to tell you how to make chipotle mayo, which is like stupid simple, and you need to not listen to all the people on the internet that make it complicated and end up making half a gallon of the stuff that you'll never use and it'll go bad. And I'm going to tell you how to make really great guacamole. Not only that, I'm going to tell you how to make really great guacamole that won't turn black uh, in in the kitchen in one day, so you'll actually be able to save it and... Uh, Uh, get it used up. All of that more in just a bit. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. One of my favorite people I get to work with at TSP is Chef Keith Snow of HarvestEating.com. Chef Keith can teach you to cook fantastic meals, develop a great food storage program, and more. He is also the source of my favorite line of spices and seasoning mixes that I use in all my weekly cooking. Check out his products, great blog, and podcast at HarvestEating.com. Hey, business owners, would you like the ability to reach more than 100,000 TSP community members for as little as $5 a year? If so, consider advertising your business in the TSP Business Directory. A listing in our directory shows your support of the community and a commitment to value-for-value value exchange with other members. To find something or to be found, just check out the directory at tspbiz.com. That's tspbiz.com to learn more. Now, before we get all into all this great stuff and I make you hungry, let's talk about the, this year in history. We are up to the year 23, 23 AD in history. 
I have two today. Southpaw Ben is back contributing. He has given us the fall of the Zin Dynasty and the death of Wang Bang. And we have The Emperor's Son is Dead from David Verne. Here we go. This year, the Agrarian Revolt joined forces with Liu Yan's attempt to reclaim the throne for the Han Dynasty. With incredible effectiveness, Wang Mang was killed during the battle for the capital. Immediately after his death, the soldiers there for it turned on each other, fighting for the right to claim to have killed him. And it resulted in tens more of them dying. Because Liu Yan was such a good leader, he won the respect of his troops as well as the troops of his fellow rebel leaders. As he was descended from the Han Dynasty, they wanted him to become the new emperor. As a result, the other leaders got jealous of him, and as none of them were Han dynastic descent, found a weak-willed descendant they made emperor they could use as a puppet and made Liu Yan prime minister. This all happened during the revolution before they had killed Wang Bang. So they cut a deal. Dude, you're not getting in at the top, but we'll give you power and make you prime minister, but we want to handpick our own emperor. He's your kind of wussy-ass, wishy-washy, you know, third cousin. And you're either going to do that or we're not going to help you. Yeah. My take by South Bob Ben. It's interesting to see how quickly allies can turn on each other when there's a chance at glory, honor, or power. We see this both with the low-ranking soldiers uh, over who killed the emperor as well as with the rebel leaders. Yet, you want to know what? This is going on in Syria right now. There's a supposed anarchist revolution going on in Syria right now. Did you know this? In northern Syria, there's an anarchist revolution. There's a whole province area. They're, they're, they're yeah, anarchists. Except they're anarcho-communists, which doesn't that's not really a thing. That's a fable in the mind of people that think they are one. They're tied in with a whole bunch of communists, and if they're ever successful, well, we we know what happens to the anarchists after a communist revolution, don't we? Don't we don't know? Maybe one day we'll talk about them. Maybe we'll do a history show where I'll talk to you about how anarchists have been extensively linked to communist revolutions and always seem to end up dead after their own... Yeah, that's what happens. Anyway, let's move on to The uh, Emperor's Son is Dead, contributed by David Verne. Lucius Sinjanus, the, Petru the Petrorian prefect, has been using his position to gain power and influence with Tiberius. Tiberius has been giving more responsibilities to his son, Drusus, who Sinjanus sees as a roadblock for his ambition. Sejanus couldn't gain favor with Drusus like he could with Tiberius because Drusus hated him and even punched him during a heated argument. Sejanus came up with a plan to eliminate Drusus and advance his own social standing. He tries and succeeds in seducing Drusus's wife, Luvilla. She agrees to help poison Drusus, and they are so successful that no one suspects that he was killed. Tiberius begins to rely on Sinjanus and trusts him completely, but blocks his attempt to marry Luvilla because she's a member of, she's, she was a member of the imperial family, and Sinjanus had too low of a social standing. My take by David Verne. The Patriarchian Guard, literal translation, General's Tent Guard, was officially established under the reign of Augustus. They were a combination of personal guards for the emperor, police force for Rome, and an intelligence service. Oh, did you think something like the Secret Service was a new idea? No, it wasn't. Anyway, Tiberius moved them from a separate bases to a central camp outside Rome and raised their numbers to 12,000 men. They were supposed to have two prefixes of equal standing to prevent power from accumulating in one person. But Tiberius ignored this practice and only appointed Sinjanus. Under Sinjanus, the guard will realize the political power they had. They guarded the emperor at night 
And from this point on, no one will become emperor without the approval of the Patreons. Okay. Um, a lot of lessons there. One of the best ways to prevent somebody from trying to eliminate a person to seize power is to make sure that one person doesn't have the power. Well, then you'd have to kill two of them, and even if you did it perfectly, if the system stayed in place, well, you'd have to share power with somebody else. And the more you divide power, uh, the less of your bloodbath you have for the attempt to acquire it. So you might actually divide power up between branches of government, like a Senate and a House of Representatives and a presidency and a judiciary. It's like our founders actually got these ideas from somewhere. The other thing I would notice is we read about ancient Rome. Do you realize why so much of William Shakespeare's playwriting operated in and around the ancient Romans and what have you? Because it reads like Shakespeare because it is Shakespeare. Maybe the guy wasn't that creative after all. He was just good at making screenplays out of shit that he already knew happened. It's just my thoughts. All right, folks, I want to remind you about the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade today. That's a great way that you can support the show and get a return of investment. We offer discounts to over 60 vendors. There's a lot of video content that you can't get anywhere else. We do video all of our workshops from this point going forward. There's hours of video on our workshops in there for MSB members only, and yes, you can download them. Every episode of the Survival Podcast ever produced in convenient zip files, so you can start with episode one and binge out all the way up to episode 2000 and beyond very, very soon. That's all available, and it's all available for a cost that comes down to $50 a year. And you can try the membership out for as little as $5 a month. If you have not yet become a member, please consider supporting the show as a Support Brigade member today. Okay, so let's get into it. Before I start giving you the recipes and techniques and kitchen hacks and stuff that I've come up with recently, and I do believe all of this will be new, that none of this will be things that I've specifically um, talked about before as far as the recipes and what have you, Let's talk about something that comes up on occasion when I talk a lot about gardening and food and cooking and canning and dehydrating and all such stuff. I will occasionally get emails. It seems like a lot less now than I used to long ago. Uh, but I'll get emails from people that, that like, are we going to talk about survival? You know, like food storage and guns and gear and stuff. Like, this is, you know, and one guy I remember way back in the day said, What are you going to do? And it was in a comment in the blog teach me to make a pie next. And my response was, I'm not really keen on pie, but um, the reality is, you know, maybe. Because knowing how to cook is definitely a survival skill. What good is stored food if you don't know how to prepare it? And, uh, you know, living on gruel, that'll that'll get old really fast. Really fast. There's a point where you go, I'll do what i got to do and what have you. You know, there's, there's also the concept of living a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Here's the realities about... Cooking is a survival skill in a life school. N number one, you have to eat. I've been shot at once in my life. I've been in more than a few fights. But if I, if I talk about fights that happened outside of a ring or training or something like that, um, it gets smaller. And then if I look back and I honestly say, how many of those conflicts could have been avoided? Then I've, if, if, if that was the litmus test for actually, you know, getting into it with somebody else, then I've maybe had two fights in my life where I had no choice. That I, I really, I really can't look back and say, well, I could have avoided that. Like attempting to avoid it probably would have got me hurt instead of enabling me to defend myself. So that's, and that's probably more than most. If people are honest about it, actual fights 
outside of ring sporting event or training that could not be avoided through de-escalation, most people will end their life with a great big fat zero. Especially if we don't talk about you know pushing a couple kids, pushing each other around, actual fights. So when we talk about combat, people say that's like a survival skill. Well, you probably eat three times a day. And you can go your whole life without fighting if you're smart about it. Maybe not. It's good to know how to do. I'm not putting down you know gaining skills, combat skills, etc., self-defense. But you may live your whole life never needing to defend yourself. You're not going to go a week without eating, without doing serious harm to your health. And your health's important. That's another thing that makes this a survival topic. When you know how to cook really great food, you don't just microwave a box of crap. You don't say, screw it tonight and go out to Sonic or order Domino's or eat some other garbage. You don't end up making a meal out of you know crunchy Cheetos. And I've done all these things right in my life. Because there's times when it's comfort food, even though it's bad for you to do it, but you don't want to make a habit of it. And I can tell you that you also need money to go further than it does for most people. And I think this is what people need to understand. Wherever you are in life, it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're affluent, if you're middle class, upper middle class, lower middle class, in, in what is financially considered the poverty level, if you want to advance your cause in life, you, the only way you do that is you make your money go further than the other people where you are. That's how you move to the next level. It's hard for people to understand. What they think is, well, what I'll do is I'll get a better job, make better money. Not a bad play. But if you do, you'll just eliminate that surplus money, and it won't really do anything for you in life. That's why people get their ass completely kicked by losing a job for three months or six months before they can find a new one. Because they didn't do anything with the surplus other than spend it. They found a way to eliminate the extra income. By getting a bigger house, a more expensive car, whatever it is. And look, I don't deny you know having certain amounts of material comforts. I think that's a good thing too. But the way we really get there smartly is we make our money go further than our contemporaries. So that we have greater leverage than them. We have more choices than them. We have more opportunities, therefore. And by capitalizing on those opportunities and continuing that pattern, we move up in life. Additionally, I'm going to tell you that I believe that cooking itself is just a life skill. And when I was still in high school, we still had something called home economics, which was basically cooking and how to like sew a patch in a pair of pants or something like that. Mostly girls took it, but then I think there were smart males like me that took home. Why would you take home economics, Jack? Well, I get to cook and eat food while I'm at school. That's a good thing. Yeah, I had to embroider a friggin' pillow. I wasn't very happy about it, but I didn't really care what my grade was, so I didn't really work real hard on that. But you know why I took home economics? There were like 26 girls in the class and me and one other guy. That's why, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, at least we had, like, the concept that it was important to learn how to do these things, even if it was more slanted toward females. And the other thing I think we had was... You know, kids when I was growing up spent time with their grandmother in the kitchen, with their grandfather on the grill, with their dad, with their mom in the kitchen or on the grill learning how to cook. And most of my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, I believe most Gen Xers, baby boomers, tweeners, which is the generation between Gen X and, and, and the baby boomers, or some people call them boomer generation two, 
That would be my wife. Um, we all learned, but we didn't continue to practice. And I'm talking on a broad scale, like, you know, on an average. And even those of us that did, we didn't do a good job of teaching it to the kids that are now the adult millennials. There's a, there's a huge lack of ability to cook among adult millennials, which is ironic because they're like the biggest foodie generation ever. There's never been a generation that's been so much into good food, from quality ingredients to different ethnic uh, types of food to you know all of this stuff. They love restaurants. They love these different ethnic cuisines. They, they love this stuff. They talk about it. The food blogging industry is dominated by millennials. But they don't know how to cook. Many of them are learning. And with YouTube, frankly, you know, anybody that wants to can learn, at least the basics. But I believe the best thing would be for those of us with adult children now to start making like that a family thing. I do that with my son. And we certainly do that with our grand our grandson. And as our daughter get, granddaughter gets older, we'll do that with her too. To make cooking a family thing again, I think, is a huge thing of restoring America to what we used to be in the best way possible. There's people that get their ass all in a wrinkle when you say, you know, make America what it used to be. And, and because there's a lot of shit in our past that really we don't need to go back to. But there's a lot of good, too, that we've lost. And there's no reason we can't keep the advancements we've made and restore Things like parents actually teaching their children how to effing cook, right? So that's part of why I love this topic as well. But again, man, it's it's about health. It's about you need to do it every day, and it's about making your money go further and about improving your quality of life without spending more money. Because a lot of this stuff, you know, just a few simple ingredients and some techniques, and you're on board. So let's talk about some of the stuff that's been going on in the Spirico Kitchen lately. Recently, I, uh, I put out an Amazon item of the day that was these things called taco tenders for, for holding tacos. And uh, you know, m my wife wanted to get some because we had them at the restaurant and checked out some different ones and found ones. Guys, you guys discount everything. And so we've been probably making more tacos than people that try to stay low-carb, paleo-ish should. But we've also been doing the mini tacos with the little mini corn tortillas. Like three of them are like a net 16 carbs. Uh, so you, know, you can get away with it. So... You know, we're making tacos, and I've, I've done tacos lots of different ways, including using the crappy little envelope from Old El Paso, and it makes a decent ground beef taco and what have you, but it's not the best quality food for you. And I started thinking about a technique that I've used in other things, like making my own chorizo using dried chili peppers. And I want to say now, before I get into this, you don't have to pay huge attention to all the little details that I'll give when I go through this. In fact, I may skim some details. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, I have put together a awesome document that gives you everything you need to know about everything that I'm going to talk about from this point forward, including what I'm calling my everything taco and chili sauce. So here's the basic technique. It's so stupid simple, and it's used in so much you know, Mexican, Tex-Mex, etc. cooking And yet, it doesn't get used on something simple, except by street taco makers anyway, for making tacos. And it's basically you just make a chili sauce, and then you, you brown or saute your, your meat, and then when it's about three quarters done, you add the chili sauce to it, and coat it, and kind of give it a final cook through with it. And I'm going to tell you how to make the sauce here in a second, but that, that's how simple this is. And what I want you to do today, as I'm going through this stuff, is to focus on 
technique over recipe. And that's another reason I drew up the recipe document, which really isn't written like a typical recipe document. It's more like an instructions. Add this much of that, this much of this. There's not a recipe list with them. It took long enough to write up as it was. But it's also how I cook. And if you start cooking that way, you become more confident, you become fearless, you grab that technique, and you do something different with it of your own. And if you go, that sucks, you go, well, I'm not going to do that again. Or you go, that's good, but it was too much of this. Then you backed it off. Or that was good, but it needed something else. I'll try adding this. Okay? You start creating these flavor bombs of all these different melded flavors. So the basic technique is you take dried chili peppers, and I'm talking about, and I'm going to tell you exactly which ones in a second, but the big dried chili peppers, you can buy them in most supermarkets. Another thing is most of these ingredients that you might have a little trouble either knowing what they are or finding them, I have links to them on Amazon today. And that means you can go look and see exactly what I'm talking about, and if it makes sense to buy on Amazon, go ahead. Do through my affiliate link. That's great. However... Certain items are probably better bought at your local grocery store, unless you can't get them there in certain parts of the country or whatever. So most of the time, either in the spice aisle, if they have a big spice aisle with big bags, or in the produce section, you'll see bags of whole chilies. I'm talking like anchos, New Mexico's, uh, you know, etc., Guadalajos, etc., And they're just a big, honking, usually red chili pepper, dried to a leathery consistency, stem on, seeds in, in a plastic bag. You can look through and see them. That's what I'm talking about. Well, you pull the stems off and the seeds out. You kind of break them up a little bit. You throw them in some hot boiling water. You kill the heat. You let them steep. And they become soft again. And then you blend them. And I use a Nutri-Ninja. But you can use a blender, a food processor, your own version of the Nutri-Ninja if you have something different. Uh, you know, It doesn't matter. Whatever you use for blending. You can use an immersion blender if you want to. It's just not real effective with because the, the peppers are kind of chunky. And you blend it into a chili sauce, and then you use that chili sauce to do whatever you're going to cook with. You could simmer cubes of pork in it make like a pork adobo. It's just awesome, right? Lots of flavor. Now, here's what I do to make mine. Um, I put a few cups of water, like usually two, depending on how much you know I'm going to make, and then I bring that water to a boil. And then the two chilies that I've settled on for my sauce is I use two New Mexico dried chilies and two ancho dried chilies. And again, I have links to both of these in the in the show notes. When you do that, you remove the stem and the seeds and add them to the water. You can add them almost whole, but I usually break them up because it helps me get the seeds out of them. And then I add about one handful of dehydrated onions. So about a handful, you know, like a loose handful, and about a tablespoon-ish of dehydrated garlic. And I'll tell you right now, I don't get a tablespoon out and measure the dehydrated. I just like kind of put it in my hand. That's about a tablespoon. Throw that in there. I put the lid on the pot. You know, now again, I brought the water to a boil. It's now just hot water. I've turned off the heat, and it's covered. And I let it steep for about 20 minutes, and I stir it like right at the beginning when I first. Right before I put the lid on, and about 10 minutes into it, I stir it again. You probably don't have to. I just usually do. If I'm doing other stuff, I might put it on the stove and leave it there for 30, 40, 50 minutes, an hour before I come back to it. Once it's in there, it's good. It's not going to overdo because the heat's off. At some point, then, though, we add that to a blender or Nutri Ninja. We blend it till it's smooth, and we return it to the pot that it came out of. We're going to add to taste, and I add a pretty good amount of paprika. Probably a tablespoon or more, maybe two tablespoons. Um, also to taste, cumin. Cumin is a great spice for this. And probably almost a tablespoon of cumin is what I use. Salt, black pepper, and about half the, ju the juice of one lime. 
And then I use about three tablespoons of a good hot sauce. I like a hot sauce called Cholula. I also have that in today's show notes. We're going to return the heat. So we're going to turn the heat back on that pot. We're do it low because it's kind of thick and it can burn if we turn it up too fast. Or it can like build up like a geyser and like splatter out of there. So we're going to turn the heat on low and bring the sauce back to a simmer, stirring while we're doing this. Because, again, what could happen is the top stays cool, the bottom gets hot, and boom, you get you know little volcanoes of erupting chili sauce, which makes a mess and it burns your arms. So don't do that. But once you get it simmering and it's all hot and stirred through, simmer it for about five to ten minutes, depending on how how loose it is, how how wet it is. If it's if it's starting to get a little bit of uh, thickness to it, not a lot, not like like a, a too thin to be a gravy, but thicker than a than water. Okay, uh, somewhere in that range. That's when you can go ahead and just turn it off and stop producing it. Now to use it for tacos, all you do is take your meat, your fish, whatever. Cut it up into the size pieces you want it for on your tacos. I don't like to do, you know, where you cook a whole chicken breast or something. Go ahead and cut it up while it's raw. And then salt and pepper on it. Salt and pepper always goes on everything. And then use your oil of choice. You could use baking grease. You could use peanut oil. You could use olive oil. If you use olive oil, bring your heat down. Never cook really high temperatures with olive oil. It makes it bitter and it screws it up. Um, and just go ahead and cook it in a frying pan. About three quarters of the way done. Now, depending on what you're cooking, there might be a lot of fat in it, there might be a lot of water in it, or it might not have a lot of fat or water in the meat itself. If it doesn't, you don't have to worry about this next step. If it does, if you look in that pan and you know that chicken is you know, kind of cooked on the outside, if you're doing diced chicken, for instance, but you can still see a little pink here and there, that's about the point you want it where in another couple minutes it's going to be done, but if, you wouldn't eat it yet. Okay, if there's a, and chicken's big on this because there's so much water in, in processed chicken, especially, and there's so much fat in, in modern chicken. So if you have a lot of moisture, you know, put a pan lid on it, crack it to the side, and dump your excess moisture off of it. Okay, get it back on the heat, nice gentle saute going. Take a tablespoon into your chili sauce and start spooning your chili sauce onto whatever meat you're cooking and stir it through till it's completely coated, but you don't want it sitting in there like it's chili. right? You just want it coated in the chili sauce. And remember, you can always add more, but taking it back is a little bit difficult to do. So you can make it really lightly coated, and if, if you want more, you know, if one of your people want more when it's on their taco, they can spoon a little bit right straight on out of the pot. So don't overdo it. Okay? To use it for tacos, that's all you got to do. And at the end, what makes a lot of sense is you get a night, if you like cilantro, big handful of cilantro chopped up finely, throw that in the skillet with your meat that's, that's chili coated and hit it with another you know quarter to a half of a lime worth of juice to put some fresh, bright lime juice on it, especially with fish. Let me tell you, this is good for beef and pork and chicken, but it will blow you away with fish. With fish or shrimp, it is like... You swear you're sitting in a, a high-end restaurant. There's so much flavor, and it's one of those things that you eat, and when you're done eating, the flavor's still in your mouth in the best way possible. It's just there. And you just keep thinking about the experience that you've had. It's that good. The best types of fish for it are firm-fleshed fish. We've done it with catfish, and it was pretty good. But we've done it with sand bass or white bass that we've caught from our local lakes, and it's fantastic. It's also like from botfish, mahi, and swordfish from your saltwater. 
those are really, really good with it. It's also great with snapper, and if you do snapper and you get the fillets with the skin on, leave the skin on. Trust me, leave the skin on, and really be careful not to overcook the, cook the snapper. It's such a great cut, but it's easy to overcook cook it. Shrimp, oh man. I'll go up against any restaurant shrimp tacos, or even just, like, you don't have to have tacos, like chili shrimp. I'll bring it with this. This is, this is so good. Okay, uh, if you want to make chili, this is much better than using you know chili powder. You make up this chili sauce and just kind of substitute it for chili powder. I personally think 30 to 50 percent of the liquid in your chili when you start before you cook it down should be made up with the sauce. But you play with it and figure it out because I think chili is a very personal thing. But you know a good coarse ground chili meat and using this as a base or Another great way to make chili, I love making chili this way, is cubing up a good cut of beef. So you cut very, so the best thing to do then is you take your, like an eye of round roast to work good for this, put it in the freezer until it's almost frozen but not quite. It's as cold as it can get without starting to get like actually too frozen to cut it. And then you can cut beautiful slices out of it and you can cut those into dices. And then make a chili using those dices. And you could even like do half dices and half like coarse ground. Then you can make you can make chili with deer meat. There's so much you can do. It's up to you. Again, chili is very very personal. Now, even using if you're making tacos for two or four people, even using only two peppers uh, of the ancho and two peppers of the New Mexico, you, it makes quite a bit of the chili sauce. It keeps really good in the refrigerator. So just put it in like a pint jar or a half pint jar, probably about right size. Throw a lid on, stick it in the refrigerator. It'll last at least two weeks. I don't know if it lasts longer than that. It's never been around longer than that. Um, but because of the nature of what it is, it just has a pretty good shelf life in the refrigerator. And I haven't really noticed that it's not as good like a couple days later when you make another round of something. And I think if you try this, I think if you try this, you're going to find it to be one of the most fantastic things that you can use. And you'll start coming up with other ways to use it. Another great way to use it, get a good lean cut of pork, nice and thick, cube it into cubes that are like, you know, fork-sized cubes, and just saute those and coat them like you were going to be making tacos, but just a, that's a straight meat dish. Put a little um, good sprinkle of fresh cilantro on top of that. Uh, serve that alongside, if you're a rice eater, some good Mexican or cilantro lime rice. Um, you know, a vegetable sautéed, you know, like top tabletop, uh, stovetop potatoes would go good with that. I'm trying not to limit your choices based on my own, but like that pork with that chili sauce with some hash brown style potatoes, and you get a little bit of that potato, and it sucks up a little bit of that chili, and it's got that pork. Oh, guys, you got to try this chili sauce. You'll never buy chili powder. Uh, you'll buy chili powder. There's too many easy things to do with chili powder, right? But I promise you'll never buy, like, prepackaged anything ever again, like taco seasoning or something like that, because this is, it sounds complicated, but the first time you do it, you're like, I can do that with my eyes closed. And because it doesn't need to be, like, immediately used, you know, you can make this stuff on a Saturday when you have extra time or a Sunday and throw a quarter or a half a pint or a pint of it in the refrigerator and make two or three dishes that week using it, depending on how much you make and how much you want to use. But again, just, just a basic chili sauce. And this is the thing. Like, So I'm telling you, yes, you get some shrimp, right? You devein and shell your shrimp. You hit them with salt and pepper, 
throw some olive oil into the skillet. You you know cook them nice and light. You uh, you hit them with the chili sauce. You throw a handful of finely diced tomatoes and green onions on top of them. You take some warm corn tortillas in your taco tenders. You put your shrimp in there. Right, you add yourself a little bit of a, of a slaw, like a mix of purple and green cabbage slaw. No, it sounds a little bit odd. It's so effing good. Top it with a little guacamole, right, and a little chipotle mayo. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fan. It'll blow you away. If you don't, well, I don't like the uh, I don't like the cabbage. Okay, then just do some cilantro and some guac, right? Some cheese, or just just some cheese and some chipotle mayo and the shrimp. A little bit more lime juice, a little green onion. I mean, you can do whatever you want, right? So, but it's not about that one thing, and that's the problem. What I think the way most people think about cooking, and the way the most people teach cooking, the way way most recipe sites approach cooking, it's like, well, here you're going to make shrimp tacos, and then over here you're going to make fish tacos. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Now, you might cook the fish a little longer or a little less, depending on how thick it is or whatever it is, but the, the, the technique and the combination of flavors and the way it goes together is the same thing. What? How do you make the guac and the, and the uh, chipotle mayo? Hold on. That's toward the end. Easy, easy stuff. So simple. Okay, I want to talk about something totally different because we're going to kind of travel around with, you know, uh, ethnic and uh, Tex-Mex and some just straight up, you know, kind of American stuff and uh, some Asian stuff today. I don't know what you would really call this from that standpoint. Um, it actually probably would be something that would be more Asian than anything else because in this country, we seem to think that sweet potatoes are only useful for the root. We don't seem to have a, a broader understanding that sweet potato greens are a really good thing. Now, I love sweet potato greens. And I see sweet potatoes as my go-to green crop. And now that I'm growing Thai water spinach, it's going to be kind of a, a, a battle between them because that. I don't have anything with Thai water spinach today because I figure most of you don't have access to it yet, right? So, but sweet potato green is fantastic, and you can grow it in the heat of summer, and it just keeps coming. And you get these huge long vines, and you cut them off, and you strip the leaves off them. You take the tip and root it and make more. <laughs> like on the fly, you just keep making more and more and more. You never run out. You don't run out of sweet potato greens until the frost comes, right? And you, fi or you finally dig some tubers up. But I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, what can I do with them? I was going to do like some smoky bacon and some chopped apples with sweet potato greens, and I've done that with chard. I'm sure that would be good, so don't not do it, because I didn't say it as an official recipe today. Go try that shit. But what, what I came up with last night was, well, I have some sweet, actual sweet potato tubers sitting in the pantry. So what I did is I took a sweet potato, and I peeled it. And I took my julienne peeler, the one I've taught you guys how to make zoodles, right? Basically angel hair pasta out of zucchinis with. And I made basically angel hair pasta from sweet potato. I just stripped it until I couldn't really do it. It's too small and flimsy, and I threw the last little piece out to the birds. So I made this big pile from just one medium-sized sweet potato, big pile of sweet potato shreds. It looked huge. It cooks down a lot. I never did it with sweet potatoes before. It cooks down almost as much as zucchini. I probably could have made double, made two of them, but it, it worked out. And I took a huge bowl. I mean, like, it felt like a lot of sweet potato leaf. And I took the leaves, and I stripped them off the vines, just like I said. Actually, I used scissors and cut them off, which is easier. And I laid them down, on, and I cut them about in half or to thirds and put them back in the bowl and set them aside. And I did this with some uh, New York strip steak last night that was fantastic. 
So then into a, a skillet, and kind of a nonstick skillet really is a good way to go with this. Um, I did some olive oil, and I sautéed the uh, sweet potato. Again, you want to keep 300, 325 about for your skillet temperature when you're using olive oil. When you go higher temperature of olive oil, it becomes bitter, and it actually becomes not so good for you anymore. So, you know, you sauté the, and I use some salt, pepper, and, and some thyme. And when I say thyme, I'm talking about, you know, dried, you know, from the spice rack thyme. Good pinch of that, salt and pepper. Sauteed that till it was like almost done. Then I dropped in a couple tablespoons from a stick of butter. So just whack off. They usually say right on there, you know, one tablespoon, two tablespoons, two, three tablespoons of butter. Cut a piece off the butter stick, threw it in the pan, started to melt it. And then you started adding in the sweet potato leaves and moving around with a pair of tongs. And this huge pile of sweet potatoes, just like doing spinach or arugula, just shrinks down. And you want to stop cooking about the point where it's still bright green but well wilted. And then put it on the plate. I hit it with a little bit of smoked salt on the top. Sliced medium rare steak next to it. Put a picture of it on Facebook last night. People seemed pretty interested in it. Figured I would put it on today's show. And I guess I'll maybe I'll make that picture the featured picture for today's episode. So here's what you've got there. You're taking the same plant and two different parts of it, and you're bringing them back together. You're reinforcing flavor and character and profile. But you're also creating kind of a noodley thing with a green, which if you think about that, so this is absolutely not a noodle. This is absolutely not Italian. But angel hair pasta with like a garlic lemon wine sauce with wilted arugula is a thing. It's a big thing. Right, the very light kind of summer dish. You got the bitterness of the arugula going against the sweetness of the pasta. A little bit of butter, wine, and garlic. Right, you're you're using that same philosophy, and you're bringing it over to a, a world that's fairly low carb because sweet potatoes compared to pasta, even though sweet potatoes have carbs, much more low carb. The greens are almost no carbs, and the the greens do have a little bit of a bitterness to them that counterbalances the sweetness of the sweet potato. The salt gets in there, the butter gets in there. It's just fantastic. But it's and it's something that if you have friends over and you make that, they're gonna, they're, I'm telling you, it will blow them away. And it's so damn simple. It takes no real work. It's the kind of thing that you can watch TV while you're doing it. And once you've done it, once you don't even think about it, mind your fingers with the julienne peeler is about the only thing there, right? And your fingers with the uh, with the knife when you're cutting. So let's talk about another thing my wife uh, wanted recently. She said, I want to do a really good stir fry. And I'm going to leave the vegetables out of this one. It's up to you. But we like things like peppers and snow peas and zucchini. Um, a little bit of hot pepper going on. But any, you know, I like water chestnuts. I like the little baby corns. I know it's a gimmick, but I like them. But, you know, you make up your vegetables. And all I'm going to say about the vegetables with stir fry is this. Some vegetables really should cook longer than other vegetables. Snow peas should cook till they're bright green and no longer, and they could basically throw snow peas in at the end and kill the heat and let the heat cook them through and be done. Broccoli should probably cook a little while, but not too long. And if you put the stems of the broccoli in, that should cook longer than the florets. Okay, Peppers, you know, zucchini right toward the end. So whenever I do a stir-fry, I get all my vegetables prepared, and I put them on a cutting board in, a, in, a, in a, like a line. The longest cook to the shortest cook. And I get that wok screaming hot, screaming hot. 
and I start longest, and even if it's just a couple, you know, a good 20, 30 seconds, start, uh, you know, ahead of the, you know, the stuff that's a little bit longer and a little bit longer, and then the last stuff to go in. And then you add your meat back in. So I always cook my meat first, set it to the side, and let it rest. Okay, so that's the basic how I do a stir-fry. I'm not saying you have to, too, but it's how I do a stir-fry. Here's what I came up with for a marinade for stir-fry chicken. This would be badass with pork. Be good with beef, but I would probably change a few things. I'm not going to tell you what. Figure it out yourself. But with shrimp, this would kick ass. And doing chicken and shrimp with this would kick ass. It really would, and and I think I think pork and shrimp with this would be pretty badass too. I would cut pork into like thin strips when I did this. Just saying. Okay, so here's what you're gonna do: in a bowl or a jar, add about a quarter cup of soy sauce, a quarter cup of uh, rice wine, and a couple splashes of Worcestershire sauce. The Worcestershire sauce is not really. Um, a traditional ingredient in a Japanese stir-fry. But you wish this year's made with a little bit of anchovy and it brings a little bit of fish sauce without using fish sauce. You could substitute fish sauce for the soy sauce here. You could cut the soy sauce into half, so half of a quarter is what a, you know, a, an eighth, right? Um, and uh, then do half soy and half fish. It's up to you. But wish this year, when I ma- I'm giving you what I made because it's what was in the pantry when I made it. Okay, About a tablespoon of hoisin sauce about two tablespoons of mirin. Let's talk about what those are. Hoisin is a traditional Japanese, Korean, etc. cooking ingredient. It's kind of a sticky paste, sort of kind of barbecue-ish sauce. Okay? And I have links to all this stuff so you can see it on Amazon. Uh, And then mirin is basically rice wine that's been sweetened. So the hoisin and the mirin is designed to give some sugar to create the sweet flavor for the balance of all these different flavors, but it's also designed to help caramelize a little bit and crisp the meat up a bit. Then you want about a half cup of oil. Peanut's good for this uh, because it cooks at, you know really good at high temperatures. Uh, a few tablespoons of honey. One chili pepper, well diced. It's up to you what kind of chili, whether you want to leave the seeds in, how hot you want it to be, or if you want to eliminate it all together if you don't want it to be hot at all. About a tablespoon of uh, lemongrass paste. Uh, about a tablespoon of grated ginger or ginger paste, depending on what you have available. Uh, you could certainly use lemongrass, chopped lemongrass if you had it in this too. About a tablespoon of well-chopped garlic or garlic paste. Or a teaspoon of dehydrated garlic, whatever you have. And about a tablespoon of fresh cracked black pepper. And about a half a teaspoon of dry mustard or a teaspoon of prepared mustard. You're doing that as an emulsifier because we have a water-based liquid in soy or fish sauce, and we have oil. And if we want an actual marinade, we want them together. And I've tried, since we had the show where I asked Chef Keith about emulsification other than mustard, and he, and he, you know, he kind of gave all these things, the guar gum and crap like that, that I just didn't feel like messing with. And he said, oh, you could use just some dry mustard. I'm like, that might not have as much flavor as using like prepared mustard, and it doesn't because it doesn't have the vinegar. So I've gone to using a little bit of dry mustard. Mix that well until the, the like the soy sauce and the oils stay together and it doesn't separate. And if it doesn't stay together, add a little more mustard, either prepared or dried, until you add just enough to create the emulsification, the emulsion, so that it stays together, so you get an even coating. And rather than a bowl, my actual favorite way to do this, I put it in a jar, you know, a canning jar. Put the lid on it, shake the shit out of it. 
Okay, then throw all your meat, in this case chicken, and this makes a lot. You could cut this recipe in half. A little marinade goes a long way with this, but when we do this, what I usually do is I make up like twice as much chicken as we're going to eat. I stir fry all the chicken. I take it out of the pan. I put half of it in a container and put it in the refrigerator and it gets used in other things through the week. So we're making one meal, but we're getting two. And we're not talking about leftovers, I'm about planned. So that's why I use a little, it's a fairly large amount. This goes in a big, like, gallon-sized Ziploc bag. So you put all the chicken in your Ziploc bag. And again, I always cut the chicken to the size I want it. And when I'm doing stir-fried chicken, what I like to do is cut the meat when it's raw on the bias, which means cut it on an angle. So if you have a breast, you lay that down. If it's a really thick breast, you might cut it in half. Um, how would I say? Horizontally. So think of it like it's a big bagel and you put your hand on the top and you cut through it so that you cut it in half that way and then cut it on a bias. Cut it long, cut it wide and thin. And what that does is it exposes more surface area of the grain of the chicken. Same thing with thighs. If you have a bone thigh, you pull the skin off, pull the bone out, put those in a bag to make stock with later, lay your thigh cutlet out if you bought a boneless thigh cutlet, lay it out and just cut it on a bias. Just cut it on that kind of like a 45 degree angle, thin and wide. But small enough that it would be, you know, a single you, single helping. You pick it up and eat it as a single bite. Put that in the, the 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 bag, and then pour your marinade over and give it a good massage. Put it in the refrigerator, let it marinate at least two hours, up to overnight. Much longer than that is probably too long. Um, and then this is like I probably need to update my document. I'm looking at it right now. You don't want to boil meat when you're trying to fry meat, okay? So what you're going to want to do, and what I usually do is I lay out a bunch of paper towel, and I take the meat out of the bag, and I hold it over the sink, and I kind of squeeze it. I drain as much of the excess off as I can, and then I lay it out on a single layer on the paper towel. And I, If it's really seems like it's got a lot of wet going on, I'll take another layer of paper towel and kind of blot the top, And I'll go as far at times as to like take it off the lower level of paper towel and, and then blot it again. And a lot of times I'll let it sit for about 10 to 15 minutes. This does a couple things. One, it lets that marinade that's on the outside still kind of tacky up and get sticky so it'll caramelize better. It lets any residual moisture kind of evaporate off. And it lets the meat come up closer to room temperature so it's not ice cold when it hits the pan. It doesn't drop all of the work you did to bring that pan up to temperature. Okay. So then we're going to throw it in the, in the uh, wok. We might add a little bit of oil, but with this marinade, we probably don't need to. You absolutely can and should take some of the marinade out of the bag and use it later when you're cooking. But it had what in it? Raw chicken. So we're not going to put it on at the end, are we? No, we're not. We're not going to put it in with the chicken either. We just did all this work to get it away from the chicken for now. Okay, so we're gonna so we're gonna stir fry our chicken until it's done. Make sure you're not overcooked. We're gonna take it out. We're gonna set it in a bowl off to the side, and we're gonna start cooking our vegetables. Just like I said, with the vegetables that need the longest cooking first. And as we're cooking those vegetables, we can use some of that that marinade with the chicken flavor and everything because it, it's going into a hot wok and it's cooking at a hundred billion degrees. We're not gonna worry about any kind of contamination from the raw chicken at that point, right? It's gonna actually be more purified by heat than the chicken itself because it's going to be completely exposed. We're not talking about dumping the whole thing in there. We're talking about maybe a tablespoon or two as we do our, our ingredients. 
so that we end up with some level of, a, of moisture in a sauce by the end of this. Okay. Then we're going to start adding our, the rest of our vegetables. And then at the point that we've got everything in it, except the lat, like, you know, if you have zucchini or snow pea, it's going to go at the very end. Put as much of that marinade as you're going to use in at that point. Give it a good stir. Make sure that wok is hot so you've cooked it and discard the rest. Because, yes, it was raw chicken. Then we're going to go ahead. We're going to add our snow peas, our zucchini, our, you know, kind of our final veg. And then we're going to go ahead and drop the, the uh, chicken back in. We're going to mix that up. If you like rice, the stuff that's down in the bottom of that pan soaked in rice is awesome. You know, I cheat on paleo, I'll admit it, but I'm pretty good about not doing rice with stir fry. I'll tell you when I did, when I, you know, before I kind of got myself in, into shape, um, I used to make ramen noodles and then wok fry the ramen noodles and then put stuff like this on top of that. That's pretty badass. I mean, but that's really going off the reservation. But hey, if you eat that, then I want to tell you how to eat it right. Um, But that basic stir-fry technique, again, you can move it more toward the Szechuan pepper, uh, doing it with, uh, with, with uh, beef. So thin sliced beef, go more towards the pepper, back off the ginger a little bit, do that with beef and broccoli, add some more fresh garlic to it, and, and boom, and you're done. Right? So the technique again, the technique over the recipe. Now, I want to teach you to make something that a lot of you are going to go, I don't know if I'd like that. But if you like fish in general and you like shrimp in general, this is one of those things I really want you to try. And it's a soup. And if you're like my wife, you'll say, but I don't want to eat soup in summer because it's so hot. Please understand that soup does not have to be served at 195 degrees just under boiling. It really doesn't. We can bring the temperature of soup down to a temperature that's warm and pleasing without it being blazing hot. Now, that said, depending on what you use for chili peppers, this could make you sweat if it's cold. So you've got to kind of balance that in there. But this is hugely popular, different versions thereof of this throughout Southeast Asia. It's not exactly a cold place, okay? Uh, so it is traditionally consumed in warm temperatures. And what I'm about to describe to you is this incredible blending of flavors And you would, you would look at something like this, especially once you taste it, and you would say, that seems like something that somebody goes to culinary school to learn how to do. And the reality is it's made on docksides by fishermen and a thousand variations every day throughout Southeast Asia. Right? We're going to cheat, though. We're going to cheat because I know most of you aren't going to sit around, especially if you're going to make this for the first time, and make fish stock. And I'll admit, even though I like making fish stock, and I like fish stock, and there's a lot of things you can do with fish stock, I'm pretty lazy about making fish stock, too. Um, I'll make it once in a while, and usually it is I'll, you know, I'll have leftover parts of fish. They get frozen in a bag until I have like a, a one-gallon bag full of fish, chopped up fish pieces, and then I'll make a fish stock, and you'll get some little fish bits off of that, too, that goes with it, and it's nice. But I use better than bullion. I use better than bullion fish base in this, and it is not the best thing in the world, but for making a fish stock, it is the best thing that I can find that's, that's widely available. Now, some of the things that I've linked to today on Amazon, I think you're better off checking your grocery store, and you'll probably save money by buying it locally. These little items 
coming from Amazon. Amazon hasn't quite figured out how to financially make them work and compete with local merchants yet, especially things like the dried chili peppers. I really think you go to the produce section, look for dried chili peppers, and I think you'll come out ahead. I think with Better Than Bullion, you normally would too, but this is what I found. None of the grocery stores I shop at have the fish base, the lobster base, the clam base. They usually have the chicken and the beef, and if you're lucky, maybe they'll have the pork and, may, and maybe they'll have the vegetable. But they usually don't have all the other ones. So you might need to be able to make this to get the fish base. Man, it, it lasts forever, and a little goes a long way and does a lot. So it's probably worth you know the eight bucks for a, a jar of it to uh, be able to make amazing uh, fish soup type dishes or you know doing reductions and making like the fish base actually makes a really awesome sauce for like pastas and things too like linguine and clam sauce but you use a fish base because you don't happen to have the clam base or you don't want to also buy the clam base I'm just saying it's pretty damn good alright so this is what we're going to do to make Jack's Asian Chili Fish and Shrimp Soup we're going to make up about 6 cups of better than bullion fish base as per the instructions. So I'm not going to go into that. You just read what the jar says. It tells you to use basically a teaspoon for cups. Six cups of water goes in a nice big stock pot. Six teaspoons of this stuff goes in. And remember, it's a paste. So if you make heaping teaspoons, it's going to be really salty and too much. Okay? So you can kind of estimate or you can actually use a butter knife and scrape off your teaspoons. Or remember this. A tablespoon is three teaspoons. So six teaspoons is two level tablespoons. Or probably one heaping one. Just saying, because I use shortcuts all the time. To, to, to that, so what, all we're going to do is get the water hot enough to dissolve in the better than bullion. It doesn't have to cook at this point. Uh, and then we're going to add to this one and a half cups of water and a half cup of white wine or rice wine. Okay? Most of those Asian fishermen on the dockside don't have wine that they're going to dump in there. So you don't have to, but this kind of gives it a little bit more refined flavor. So we could just use two more cups of water because we're going to cook it down some. And so we, that's why we didn't make up eight cups with the fish base, okay? Then we're going to add a handful of finely chopped fresh ginger or ginger paste. And I've been talking about these pastes. Um, there is actually a really great ginger paste you can get on Amazon. It's not available in my stores. It might be available in yours. and You can take a look at the link that I have for it, but it's actually an Indian product, and it's called Laxmi, L-A-X-M-I. And you can get like a 24-ounce jar of it for like 6 bucks on Amazon, which will last a long time. It keeps really good in the refrigerator. The bad news is it's like six fifty shipping. Um, so, you know, I would check locally. But the other option, and I use this with lemongrass especially because it's hard for me to find fresh lemongrass, usually in your produce section, especially like Kroger's and Albertsons seem really good about this, you'll see these tubes over where the herbs are. They almost look like a big tube of toothpaste. And garlic paste, ginger paste, and lemongrass paste are almost always available there. So those are options with this, just so you know as I read this. So you're either going to have a handful of finely chopped ginger or you're going to have maybe a tablespoon of ginger paste. Um, you're going to have a handful of thinly sliced lemongrass, and I really, it's hard for me to find, but when I make this soup, I try to get the actual lemongrass. There's just something about it. You basically take your lemongrass, and you cut your big root off of it, and then you take the back of your knife, and you whack it, you kind of bruise it, and then you slice it really, really, really thin, like paper thin. So you're going to do maybe a handful of that, or lemongrass paste if you can't get it, and I do that too. Uh, then you're going to do some thin sliced chili peppers. 
And again, you select the, the you know, do you want Serranos? Do you want, uh, don't do Habaneros in a soup. It'll burn your face off, right? But Jalapenos, Fresnos, Serranos are your, kind of your, your go-to uh, things for there. And you can adjust your heat a lot by, if you use Jalapeno and you cut off the sides and thinly slice and you don't include the pith and the seeds, it's going to be almost too mild in my opinion. There'll be almost no heat to it at all. You thinly slice jalapeno using the seeds and the pith, you're going to get a much uh, more spicy thing. It's still going to be pretty mild. You go to Serrano's, well, you're going to have a little more heat. So it's up to you. I really like for this some Fresnos, which are they kind of look like a jalapeno, but they're tapered and they're very thin-walled and they're red. If you can find those, they just really make the dish look great. If you super thin slice those and set them aside, and when you serve it, add a couple to the top. All right, or they can go straight in. But some chili peppers thin sliced in there, the juice and zest of one lime. So you can basically you get your fish stock simmering and you're cutting this and adding it as you go. That's how you instead of getting it all ready and then dumping it all in once, you just kind of just as you go because it's a soup. It, it's patient. It has patience, right? It's an easy thing to do. Um, so then there's juice and zest of a lime, and then a handful of chopped fresh cilantro, a big handful. We're going to go ahead and cook that in there, um, if you like cilantro. The other thing you can do is usually you buy cilantros in bunches, and you'll have all those stems that you usually throw away. What you can do is cut the top off and put a piece of twine or what have you, or usually like the twisty tie that's around there is okay. You can throw the whole bundle of the cilantro stems in there, and then right before you add your fish, you can grab some tongs and pull it out, and that'll help flavor the broth. Okay? If you don't like cilantro, don't add it in, obviously. I know some people think cilantro tastes like feet. Uh, you're going to then take, you're gonna want a bunch. And when I say a bunch, I don't mean a lot. I mean like an average-sized bunch of green onions. Split it in half. Thinly slice one of them, one half of them completely up. Throw that in there and reserve the other half for later. Then grind in about a teaspoon or more of black pepper. Or if you want to do things a little bit cooler, you can get some three-color pepper melange where you get the red, the green, the white uh, pepper all mixed together. And add a, uh, about four fresh garlic cloves, well-chopped. Or again, you can use a garlic paste if you don't have fresh garlic. Then simmer that with all those things in there. So by the time we got all that, about five minutes. Because these are all things that are going to very quickly release their flavor into the broth. This is not something that takes a long time to make. That's why it's made on fishing docks, okay? While it's simmering, so while it, so again, this is like a really easy dish. Because you get the base going and simmering, and you're chopping all your vegetables and your herbs and your flavorings, and you're dropping them in. And then while that's simmering, we start cutting up our fish. So we cut our fish into bite-sized pieces. We shell the shrimp. If the shrimp are large, cut them in half or thirds, whatever size you want. And I like to do it fish and shrimp, and about a pound of each is a good good number for this type of a thing. Set aside your other half of green onions, dice up about uh, half a cup of tomato into fine dices. Now, after you've simmered for about five minutes, you got everything else ready, and it can simmer a little longer, ten minutes is fine. Don't cook this for like an hour, though, right, with all those herbs. You want all that brightness and freshness and all that flavor in there. So then we're going to go ahead and we're going to add our fish, And, and generally speaking, fish will take a little longer and stand up a little better than the shrimp to cooking. If you have a really delicate fish you're using, you can go ahead and use your shrimp and fish at the same time. But generally, I'll do something like uh, mahi's good in this, though it's a hard thing to put mahi in something like this. But just your, your, your basic like 
cod. Any fish you've caught, any freshwater fish is fine in this. Uh, just any fish, any good white-fleshed fish. I wouldn't do this with salmon. Might be good, but it wouldn't be. There's no salmon in Thailand, okay? Except on farms. So we put our fish in. We'll simmer for about three minutes. Then we're going to throw our shrimp in, and we're going to kind of keep an eye on that shrimp. And when it's just done and nice and tender, we're going to kill the heat, okay? Then what we're going to do, we'll add most of the remaining green onion we've cut up and our quarter cup of tomatoes. Stir that in. Just kind of warm them through. They don't really need to cook, all right? And then put it into a bowl. And this is going to be, like, if you use a pound of each, it's going to be, you know, it's a thin broth, but it's going to be a rich stew. There's going to be a lot of meat to it. So there'll be a nice kind of stand-up nature to it. So we put it in a shallow, wide bowl. Like, we don't want to do this in a, in a deep bowl, like a nice shallow, wide bowl, so it's nice and open. And then on top of that, take some of those remaining sliced green onions, lay that on top, a little bit of cilantro, and a couple thin-ass slices of that red Fresno chili, or if you have, you know, you can't ever buy red jalapenos, but red jalapenos from your garden, really thin slices, and kind of those three together, and that color, that pop that's there, it opens the mind up so that the body can take in the flavor. When food looks good, it tastes good. Uh, kind of a side note one time, I was at a, like a home show, and a guy was selling from Pampered Chef, all the cookware and shit like that, and they do their big cooking show and, and what have you, but he made a salad, and he made a salad, and he passed around little bowls of the salad, and we ate it, and everybody thought there was cheese in the salad. Everybody was sure there was cheese in the salad. It was a good dressing and all. There's no cheese in the salad. He used the little rotor thing, and he shredded butternut squash, so it looked like shredded cheese. And I swear to God, every single person in that, I still didn't buy his $1,000, $2,000 worth of freaking cookware. But every person in that audience was absolutely certain there was cheese in that salad. And they didn't believe it until they would pick one piece of that out and chew it up and really taste it and go, yeah, that's, that's raw butternut squash. So the, I'm telling you, vision is part. Vision and smell are as much part of cooking as direct taste. And smell is a huge part of what you perceive as taste. Um, but that is a fantastic thing. And that's another thing that if you make that for somebody, there's so many different flavors popping off in there. And they're sweet and they're savory and they're spicy. Uh, there's the bite of the citrus, the brightness of the citrus, the sweetness of the shrimp. The, you know, the, the, the fish has its own type of sweetness. And you can take that more toward the Thai thing. You could add a little coconut milk to that and make it a little creamy if you want to. Again, it's just a technique. So next up, let's talk about this thing, roasted cucumber salad. That sounds good because roasted cucumbers, I mean, I don't know anybody that cooks cucumbers. Really don't. And it's, we're not going to do that. The actual full name is, I, I wanted a little bit of clickbait hook, right? Roasted red pepper, corn, cucumber, and mint salad. This is dead simple. This is another one of those things that will blow your friends away. We have a huge amount of flavor built up by roasting the corn and the peppers, but we're going to serve it cool, room temperature-ish with cucumber. So in the summer, it's nice and cooling. Um, you can scale it up and scale it down because it basically uses one cucumber, one pepper, if they're a big pepper, right? One cucumber, one pepper, and one cob of corn. So if you want to make two times as much, double it. You want to make three times as much, triple it. Believe it or not, this is actually really good with that soup that I just did. So we do the soup, we put the bowl on a plate, and we put this on the side. 
And then we have, because we talked about how the chili's there and it's the warm soup and it's hot out this time of year, but yet it's still a really good thing. Then we have that contrast with the roasted flavors of the corn and the pepper and the coolness of the cucumber and the mint, and we're serving that at room temperature. There's other things you can do with it I'll tell you about in a second. So my point with this, though, is you make this and you serve this with your meal no matter what you're serving. And a guest that you have, a family member, etc., it's going to blow them away. And it's stupid simple. I mean, it is, but it's also, it's also classic technique that most people don't know. All right? Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a red pepper, and you can use an orange pepper, a yellow pepper, a green pepper, but we have green cucumber and yellow corn. So a red pepper stands out, back to visual acuity, or orange. I would not go with green or yellow because it's going to not give you a third color if you do that, right? So we take our pepper and our corn cob. Of course, we've husked the corn. And we're going to lightly coat them with oil. Again, I like to use, when I'm doing higher grilling temperatures, peanut oil. It's not the greatest oil in the world, but it has the least amount of detrimental things that happen to it when it gets really high temperature. You can use olive oil here, but we want to char this. So we want to go with higher heat. And we can do this on the grill, We can do this in a cast iron skillet or a cast iron griddle or just a nonstick pan. It's up to you, okay? So we're going to coat our red pepper and our corn of cob in a cob of corn, cob of corn of cob, our corn of cob in some oil, salt and pepper on top of them, and we're going to grill them until the pepper is charged on four side, charred on four sides. We're going to keep turning it. We want it to get kind of black on the outside and bubbly. Don't worry, that's all going to go away, most of it anyway. And we want the corn to start getting kind of a brown, even a little bit of black. Not a lot, but even a little bit of black on all sides. We're going to turn that. So we're going to get a nice char on our pepper and a little bit of char on our corn. We're going to bring the sweetness out in our corn. And what we're going to do when we've got that done, we're going to set the corn aside to let it cool, because we don't want to cut it when it's hot for a lot of reasons. Uh, and we're going to take the pepper and we're going to stick it in a Ziploc bag. Or even a paper bag, like a paper sack you used to take for lunch as a kid to school if you used to do that, right? If you're old enough to remember that. Or you can throw it in a bowl and put some plastic wrap over it. Or you can throw it in a Tupperware uh, bowl and throw snap the lid on it. You get the point, though. You want to close, while it's still screaming hot, you want to close it in. And what's going to happen is it's going to continue to cook a little bit, and the skin is just going to get to a point where the skin will just basically fall off of it. So after it's you know, 10, 15 minutes-ish, we take that pepper out, and you take a knife, like the back of a knife or just your hands, and the, it'll just peel. Now, I, I, there's a lot of times I see people do this to peel a pepper, and I don't feel it's necessary. In this particular recipe, because we've charred it, the skins can get kind of tough and get in the way, so I think it's worth going ahead and skinning the pepper. We're going to seed the pepper, and we're going to chop it into nice-sized chunks, nice-sized cubes, right? Put that in a bowl. Then we're going to take our corn. We're going to cut it off the cob. Don't get greedy. Leave a little bit behind. Nice sharp knife. If you don't use a sharp knife when you cut corn like this off the cob, you're going to like squeeze all of what you would call the corn milk out of it. We want to leave that. There's a lot of sweetness there. And there's some starch that kind of binds with the other things that are going to be going on here. So nice sharp knife, cutting the corn, cut the corn off the cob. You take that cob, throw it out to your chickens, they'll whittle it down until there's hardly anything left of it. Okay? Once we've done that, we're going to take the corn and the peppers that are in that bowl, and we're going to stick them in the refrigerator for a little while. 
We don't want them really hot when we incorporate the cucumbers. 10-15 minutes in the fridge will get us there, though. This is a really nice thing to serve about room temperature. So you're going to have your cucumber sitting out on the counter for a while while you're doing this. Now, the next thing you do, you peel your cucumber, cut it in half, and then you're going to seed it. Okay. Now, here's another thing that I see people do on cooking shows and shit. I always see people seeding cucumbers. One does not need to seed a cucumber. Human beings are more than capable of digesting a cucumber seed in the cucumber pulp. And in many instances, I think they actually add a lot of flavor and enhancement to what you're doing with cucumbers. However, I don't want this thing to be watery at all. And there's a lot of water in there. And when it hits even the warmed um, pepper and corn, even if it's just a little bit warm still, and when we add salt, we're going to start pulling that water out. We're going to end up with, like, cucumber water, which is not what we want here. So you just take your half a cucumber and a spoon and just rip your seeds out of the cucumber. And chickens and ducks, if you have them, they love that. So throw it on a paper plate and put it out there for them. They'll, they'll tear it up. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to cut our cucumber up, and then we're going to cut the cucumber into dices. They're about twice the size of a kernel of corn. right? We want to keep kind of things sort of the same size here so they'll play together nice. Or we can do really thin slices. And that's a, that's a, that'll be a contrast difference. It's up to you. I like to do more like a cube, so this kind of sits like a relish. Okay? So we dice our cucumber into bite-sized pieces. Now we're going to mix it with the corn and the peppers. We're going to season that with salt and pepper to taste. Add a handful of very well-chopped mint. Mint is great, but if it's in big pieces, it gets chewy, like it gets in your teeth and without. So nice and thinly sliced mint. Then use the juice and zest of half a lime, and then dress it with the best quality extra virgin olive oil you have, lightly toss. That's it. Um, if you want to really kind of push it, um, set that on the plate for your guests. Get like a really fine cheese grater or like a... Um, a cheese grater, not a, a cheese slicer that does like the thin slices, and get like a salty hard cheese like uh, uh, a pecorino romano or a really good uh, a really good quality parmesan uh, or something like that, but the hard crumbly cheese, and just put a little bit on the top of that. Not necessary, but it looks cool and it tastes really good. It depends on what you're serving it with, whether you would do that or not, because this would go really good with a lot of like grilled Italian style stuff, and then that would take it that direction, where if you were doing it, like I said, with the Asian stuff, I would see no reason to do that, okay? Um, it goes good with everything. It's best served at room temperature. If you make it in advance, yeah, you would put it in the refrigerator, but get it out, let it warm up, but kind of room temperature or very slightly warmed, um, and I'll tell you something this is fantastic with. I do a lemon pepper chicken that I've given the recipe away for in my item of the day in the past that is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. It started back when um, Panera Bread used to have a lemon chicken in this bowl, this broth bowl, and they stopped making it, and I wanted to clone it. And I found a clone recipe that was close, and I played with it for a while, and it is, to me, the best the best chicken marinade for just making a straight-up chicken that goes with anything that I've ever had. You take that chicken, like thigh cutlets done with that, that lemon chicken, and I know lemon chicken is something everybody does. This is different. This is different. Oh, it's different, right? And then you, you while that chicken's hot, you, you spoon some of this pepper, corn, cucumber on top of it and just let it warm from the residual heat from the chicken. Holy shit, is it good. And... I'm not going to cover that one today, but there's the, the document that I have that will be in the show notes that you can get that has all this information in there 
Um, has a link to the review, so you can get the recipe for that. It's like a bonus recipe today. The other thing that that is really good with is grilled fish or other seafood. So now we can start playing with stuff. What if we took a nice couple fillets of fish, okay? Especially skin on, like that snapper we talked about that would go good in that in that soup. So now we have the same ingredient, different technique, different application. So we take that snapper, we give it a nice brushing of oil, we cut some hash marks into the skin so the skin will crisp, and we grill that straight on a grill. Whether it's charcoal, gas, doesn't matter. And we, you know, we cook it just through, and we flip it, we, we cook it uh, flesh side down first to get it going. Nice clean grill, nice and hot, let the fish warm up, a little bit of oil, it won't stick. Nice metal spatula straight under, flip over, no problem. No problem. If you're scared, you can use one of those little fish baskets, okay, that you know kind of closes around it. That'll work too. Go to the skin side down to finish it. We take some of that chili sauce we have left over sitting in our jar. We get a little brush. We just brush it lightly with that chili sauce that we use to make our tacos, okay? Um, in fact, we brush the skin side before we flip it so it cooks into the skin a little bit. We flip it, we brush the top side. We don't coat it. We just brush, we cover it gently. We bring that off. We set that on our plate. We take some of this corn, cucumber, mint, roasted pepper stuff. We lay that on there. Or maybe, you know, we want to go a little bit more toward this kind of Tex-Mex fish, you know, kind of Acapulco-style seafood, and we just don't use the mint when we make this salad. What do we use? We add a couple little, you know, when we make when we grill our peppers, we throw a jalapeno on there. So we do a little dice-grilled jalapeno, a little cilantro, we, and we let that at room temperature, and we let the warmness of the fish come through that with the cucumber. So you still have the cooling of the cucumber against the chili peppers. And now we've got a jalapeno, a roasted jalapeno chili, plus we have the chili sauce underneath. Same shit. It's all the same shit. We just moved it around. I could make the same, I could use the same ingredients and move them around all week long, and you'd think you had something different every day because you did. Because it's, it's, the, the guy that does a painting that uses the, the, you know, the, the same seven paint colors can paint seven different pictures that are completely different with them. And that's what food ingredients are like. They're like paints on a palette and how we apply them, how we cook them, what temperature we serve them at, what we blend them with, changes everything about them. Told you I'm passionate about this. So let's talk about a couple other really cool, simple things. So one of my guilty pleasures, and I'll admit it, is fish tacos at On the Border. And they make two different kinds. They make the ones that are probably pretty decent for you, made out of mahi-mahi, and they're grilled And you get two, and there's two small corn tortillas, and that's bad, but it's not that bad. And they have that wonderful slaw that I've copied that's basically just some shredded cabbage. And what's, what sets the whole thing off is chipotle mayo. There's just a kind of pink-looking sauce on there. And it doesn't sound that great if you're not a mayonnaise person, but you bite into it, and it blends with the cabbage, and it blends with the fish. And oh. Well, my guilty pleasure is when I... There's two different varieties that are basically the same, except... The one is the Dos Equis fish tacos, I'll admit it. And uh, they're battered in a Dos Equis beer batter, and instead of mahi, they use tilapia. So then when they put that chipotle mayo on there, and it's got that crunchy, breaded, bad-for-you stuff, the chipotle mayo soaks into the breading. 
and then it's set off by the cabbage, and holy shit. So I, I had these like months ago, and I'm like, you know, chipotle mayo cannot be difficult to make. So I come home and I start searching the internet for recipes for chipotle mayo, and they're adding chives to it and two cups of mayonnaise and shit. I'm going, I'm going to make two or three mini tacos to put this shit on. I, I don't need all this, and I know there's not chives in the stuff that I eat at the restaurants. And so I'm looking at all this and going, wait a minute. What if we just did something crazy, like took a like a canned chipotle pepper, chopped it up real fine, and mixed it in with some of the sauce that comes with it in the mayonnaise? Some bitch it works. It tastes exactly like high-quality restaurant version thereof. So... This is how you do it. Um, mix about one quarter the volume of chipotle pepper, and again, this is not your dried chipotle. This is your like your canned or jarred ones. To about three quarters of the volume of your mayo. So if you just want to make a little bit up, you have three te three tablespoons of mayo and one tablespoon of chipotle pepper. And if you think that's too much, add another tablespoon of mayo, and then even if you end up with more than you want, you find your own ratio. Um, The best Chipotle canned peppers I have found are a brand called La Costina. And once you open the can, you can put the le leftovers in a Tupperware container or a ball jar and store it in the fridge for a couple weeks at least. Um, I think these are worth buying. Like I have a link where you can get like four of them uh, in one order on Amazon. These Chipotle peppers, there's a lot of things that you can do with them. So I kind of recommend they're a pantry thing. You know, they go in that deep pantry, and like a quantity four or more is a good idea. You might want to check your local grocery store. I don't buy them on Amazon. I just checked Amazon this morning, and they're there. I get them at Albertsons, which is the primary grocery store that we shop at for stuff like this. And they always have them right in the Hispanic Mexican food section. Uh, there's a lot of different varieties. They're probably all good. I do use dried chipotle pepper for some things. Generally, I grind it into a powder, and I use it in certain chili recipes and things like that. But these are fantastic. So you want to know one, like, so I'm talking about combining things. You want to know something you can do with these? You take about a tablespoon of these, and when you're doing the reduction on that chili sauce I gave you at the beginning, you drop that in there and it adds that smoky jalapeno bite. And if we do that, and we do like a shrimp taco, and we go ahead and we take that chipotle and we add it to that chili sauce that I talked about, okay, And then we make the chipotle mayo with what we're calling reinforcing flavors. These are chef tricks, and I put it in air quotes because it's not that tricky. But it's just something if you don't know to do it, then you don't do it. So again, I, I think this is stuff you make chipotle mayo up as you need it because it doesn't seem like it. Like mayo seems to store forever in the refrigerator. Chipotle seems to store forever in the refrigerator. Chipotle mayo, not so much. And don't buy pre-mixed chipotle mayo because it tastes like shit. Right, You want to make your own up. It's so freaking easy. Last, another thing that I really like on these tacos, and the shrimp, we did, I did shrimp tacos for my buddy David on Saturday. And we did the shrimp pretty much just like I said, mixed with the chili, um, the, the, the uh, chili sauce, but I made it some guac. Made it some guacamole to go with it, and uh, did like the shrimp done with the chili sauce with a little lime added to it right at the end because the lime with shrimp brings that out. Nice handful of um, cilantro on them, little sprinkling of shredded cheese, and some guacamole. And I want to tell you guys, 
how to make like the most simple version of guacamole you can make without trying to get too much into it. That'll give it great little bit of spice, a little bit of bite, a little bit of twinge. And I also want to tell you how to make guacamole that if you don't use it all the day, maybe not, you know, if, you, if it's Monday and you don't use it all the day, it might not look really good on Friday, but at least on Tuesday it'll still be something you'd want to eat and you can get rid of it by, you know, within a day or two. Okay. So a lot of people say to add lime juice to your guacamole. I completely agree. It does help stave off the browning and blackening of guacamole a little bit, but not much. All right? So let's tell you how to make it first, and then I'm going to tell you what to do to stave that off. So what you're going to do is per avocado, add one finely diced jalapeno, and I recommend with this you go ahead and – what I do when I cut a jalapeno, maybe I should do a video of this, but I, I stand it up with the point side down, and I take a, a chef's knife, and I cut the sides off of it, and I leave the core intact. And then I cut long, to do this, I cut long strips and then turn them all sideways like matchsticks and cut them into really fine dices. And just throw the core of that away. Quite a bit of jalapeno heat, even without the, the seeds and the core in fresh raw jalapeno, especially the constant, this is a lot per avocado. Because um, when you dice one little jalapeno up, one standard size jalapeno up, it's a lot more than you think it is. If you're growing your own and you're having smaller ones, use two. And if you have red ones, the sweetness and a little bit less heat, awesome, right? You like it really hot? Go ahead and dice the whole damn thing up, throw the seeds in there and burn your brains out. I don't care. It's up to you. Um, and then about a tablespoon to two tablespoons of chopped fresh cilantro. And that's per avocado and one quarter of a lime juiced, right? So what you do is you cut your avocado. Don't cut your hand off. Apparently that's a thing now, avocado hand. People are killing themselves with avocados. You take an avocado, you lay it on the table, you put the knife, you cut straight down into the pit. And you turn it over and just kind of rotate it around the knife. You don't hold it in your hand and cut it into your hand like an idiot. right? And you just take it apart, and you take one side of it, and it's knock out a pit and the other side has a pit. Take your knife, tap the pit with the edge of the knife, turn it, it comes out on the knife. Your thumb and forefinger, pop the pit off the um, knife. Don't throw it away. Put it on the cutting board. You'll find out why in a second. Take a spoon, clean your avocados out. To make it easier to mash, I usually take my knife and I draw some lines in the avocado with the knife right down just the tip of the knife and then sideways like I'm going to dice it. And then I take the spoon and clean it out, put it into the bowl. Take a fork and mash it up into mash. That's it. Then dump in your tablespoon of cilantro. And again, I don't measure it. I'm just kind of thinking about how much I use. A small handful, boom, your one jalapeno diced up. And mix that with some salt and pepper to taste. That's it. That's the lime juice, you're done. You don't need anything else. You don't need onions, whatever. You can do those separately. Uh, I find this makes a guacamole that a lot of people will try and enjoy, especially if they mix it with something else. It's good on sandwiches. It's good straight. I like to just take, like, so I don't do a lot of chips, right? I'll take, like, sweet peppers, like red and green sweet peppers, and I'll cut them into strips. And I'll use them like chips with this type of guacamole, etc. But here's what we're going to do to keep it longer. We'll put it in the, we have it in a bowl. If we're using it right away, fine, no problem. If some's left over, or we know something's going to be left over, throw the pit in there. I don't know why, but when we leave the pit in guacamole, it seems to help it reduce its oxidation and turning black on us. The other thing we're going to do, and I hate plastic wrap, but I like it for this. We're going to take some plastic wrap, 
and we're going to cover it with plastic wrap, but not stretching it across the top of the bowl. We're going to push it straight down flat onto the so, the, so the plastic wrap makes contact with the guacamole, and we're going to like form it to the sides of the bowl up and out, so there's no air pocket in there. That reduces the oxygen exchange, and if you do that, your guacamole will keep for two or three days in the fridge. It might be a little brown on the top, but it won't be black, and when you just mix it up, it'll look good again. You'll be happy to eat it. Uh, again, I want to remind you that all of the items that are hard to find are linked into today's show notes, and a document that gives you everything that I've talked about today is linked to in the show notes as well. Um, I hope this show kind of, I'm sure it probably made a lot of you hungry. It's like lunchtime and shit like that, but um, or dinner time, you're on your way home listening in the car. But I also hope it kind of like encourages you to take a journey with making cooking a life skill. Because that's really what it is. It really is a modern survival skill. Now, if you like this show and the work that we do here and you want to help support us, one of the ways you can do that is by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com. When you go there, you can get on over to Amazon, see their deals today. Remember, today is Prime Day on Amazon. Lots of great deals on Amazon for Prime members. And if you're not a Prime member, it's probably worth being one. But whenever you shop uh, online through tspaz.com, you do help us. And I also always have reviews for you guys there. My most recent review is an Encore review. I'm bringing it back around because I think it's such a great product. It is a tackle bag for your fishing. We talked a lot about eating fish today. One great way to cut your bill is go get your own fish. In fact, as soon as I'm done today, I'm taking my ass fishing today. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, but it's made by Spiderwire. And I love Spiderwire as a, as, a, as a line, but this bag is the bomb. It's huge. It holds a lot of gear. It has line managers on it. It's got great organization. I use this bag all the time. When I go fishing, doesn't matter if I'm you know, in a boat or on shore, I'm taking this bag with me. With the telescopic fishing rods, I actually have my behind-the-truck-seat kit in this bag, and I have three full-size rod and reels with my telescopic rods in this bag, plus tons of other gear. I have actually a great video review of the bag showing you all the stuff in my truck uh, kit, and all of the stuff that's in my truck kit is linked to from this review, including like my aerator, my cast net, my telescopic rods, my reels, minnow trap, the Berkeley goat, goat baits I use, uh, the trilene line, the fishing pliers, tarred bank line, all that stuff is all linked in this review. So this review is really packed, and I really think you might want to check it out. And uh, if you're a fisherman, man, I can't recommend this tackle bag highly enough. Next up, I have my YouTube channel of the day recommendation. A lot of you guys have been sending me suggestions. Please keep them coming. Send them to jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. TSPC YouTube in the subject line. Give me a link to the channel. Maybe tell me a little bit about it. Remember, I have a hard limit on at least a 1,000 subscribers to know that a channel's been around a while and it started to build some traction. Some of the channels may be channels with hundreds of thousands, some with you know a 1,000 or two. Uh, and definitely, I want your channels out of this audience if you think they're quality and we'd like to recommend them. But uh, a lot of you have been sending them. And I'm going to start using the suggested channels next week, kind of going in the order that they come in. I want to have like a weekend to kind of watch a few videos for me so I can say something that I actually know about the channel other than just saying, hey, this was sent in and you might want to check it out. So for now, I'm, I'm going through my own subscriptions to the channels I value most that I've personally watched for years in most cases. In this case, it's one again. You'll occasionally hear me talk about, especially with gardening, permaculture, things like that, a guy named Howard, Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor. He actually has a really great YouTube channel. And for a lot of you guys, 
Uh, you don't get him on the radio. He's a local guy with national syndication on on the weekends. And then most of us probably aren't listening to the radio on the weekends. You know, It's kind of when you're trapped in the car and you're not listening to TSP type of thing. So he's got a lot of great stuff. Talks about things like fire ant control, using vinegar in your gardens, how to make a chain link fence look good, uh, how to use orange oil, how to make his patented, uh, it's not really patented, but uh, I, kind of people say that, you know, patented garden uh, garret juice formula. Uh, if you don't want to buy it yourself, he actually tells you how to do it. Exposing the root flares on trees, um, care for things like ginkgo trees. He has a video with the largest bay tree in Texas. Uh, all kinds of really cool stuff. And he's just a great guy. And Howard Garrett is one of the pioneers. He was doing organic gardening when no one was doing organic gardening. He's built up an incredible following, and he's done a lot of great things for the environment, not by preaching to people and telling them, you know, they're killing polar bears, but by telling people actually how to grow their own food and take care of even their lawns in a way that's more responsible and, frankly, works better. So you might enjoy it. I have a link to Again, the guy's name is The Dirt Doctor, a.k.a. Howard Garrett. Weekly radio show, awesome YouTube channel. Dirt Doctor is the YouTube channel. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Um, you'd think I was into that uh, chili pepper right there. Final bit for the day is today's song of the day. It's by a girl named Colby Callier, or Calliet, or Calliet, I don't know. John Adams picked it out. The song is called Think Good Thoughts. It's kind of one of these happy, boppy songs, which I, I guess is good for a lighthearted show like uh, today's show about cooking. And it is one of those songs, like, I, I actually do like music like this, but I don't listen to it a lot. It has to be the right situation, the right move, because it is that kind of bubbly, happy, kind of cool chick voice going on. But I like it. Um, and it does talk about thinking good thoughts. And it actually, if you listen to lyrics, they're kind of deep in a lot of ways. Um But I do think there's a tendency when people say things like a positive attitude or think good thoughts and focus on what you can actually affect to say, well, that sounds too simple. Well, guys, what I've been trying to teach you over the years, whether it's like the simplicity of amazing cooking today, the simplicity of basic preparedness, the simplicity of the right mentality to be a good entrepreneur, the simplicity of the things that actually save and improve lives, that simplicity actually is where it's all at. And it actually is amazing. When we focus on the things that we can actually do and have a positive impact on, instead of focusing on the things that piss us off that we actually can't do anything about except be angry about, how much more productive our lives are. With that in mind, here you go. Kaylee Colby Calais, okay? Think good thoughts. And I'm going to say, sending you off with all these ideas for making food, you should be thinking th good thoughts. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
might be cursing like a sailor Till I remind myself I'm better Cause words can be like weapons Oh, when you use them, you regret them Oh, but I'm not gonna let them Take away my heaven And when I start feeling blue I remember to tell myself to Oh, oh, oh. Think good thoughts, think good thoughts Imagine what the world would be if we, 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 we just Think good thoughts, stop the bad from feeding Oh, I won't let the negativity turn me into my enemy And promise to myself that I won't let it get the best of me That's how I want to be I just think of rain on summer nights the sky, sunshining on my face, making a secret wish, finding my happiness. That always makes me hold my head up high. I wanna hold my head up high. Oh, I wanna think good thoughts. Oh, imagine what the world would be if we, 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 we just. Na 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 na